This is recording number 10978 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 18, 2012. This is the fifth message in the series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Decade of Decisions. We're going to continue this uh, series of messages on themes having to do with family life under the title, Unleashing the Power of Family, because there is great, great power in family, and God intended it that way. He intended for our lives to be shaped, to be secured, to be um, mentored within the context of family. He meant for great blessing, powerful blessing, to come to us through family. Uh, Sadly, that's not always the case uh, in terms of how it reads out in this sin-scarred world. But I believe the Lord would like to recover, wants to recover the, the power, the, the godly power of family as it touches each of our lives. And so we're just looking at, over these weeks preceding Easter, at a number of things having to do with family life and asking God to show us from His Word how we can recover whatever may have been lost, how we can be Uh, reshaped in our thinking, whatever we need to do so that we can, whatever God needs to do in us so that we can experience what He intended for family to be. And that brings us today to the subject of uh, parenting teenagers. And the title of this message today is called The Decade of Decisions. The Decade of Decisions, subtitle, How to Parent Your Teenager While Releasing Them into Adulthood. Now, uh, the reason I've, I'm using the title The Decade of Decisions is because I believe that parenting is a two-decade process. Now, that probably didn't sound all that profound, you know, from birth until age 20 is about what you figure your, the primary activity of parenting is when that takes place. But I, I think that that two-decade two process breaks down into two very general, I'll admit, but still important to note uh, processes of parenting or approaches to parenting. The first decade has to do with, uh, we talked about last week, it is the time to train. It's when we pour into our children, when we press into them the things that we believe, the things of God that we want for them to know. We, we are shaping their future by how, what we are extending to them and giving to them. We're pouring into them. It's the time to train. But then, you know, and and it's not like, you know, you're waiting for their 11th birthday and then you go into a different mode of parenting. But it happens around there as they begin to move towards their teenage years. There is a marked transition in how we as parents uh, approach the job of parenting. And now it's not so much about what we're pouring into them, but the manner in which we're releasing them. It's like we're letting the tether out in a measured uh, way because we want for them to have their own life. We want for them to mature into adults that are independent from us, 
That's a hard thing sometimes to sort of get over, but we need for them to be. We want for them to be fully, appropriately, righteously independent from us, but that's a process, and there is a parenting that's going on, even through those difficult years, as we are letting out the tether. And part of that letting out the tether has to do with them making decisions based on the input of their first, first decade. All that we've poured into them now, like it or not, you're not you as parents are not going to be able to continue to have just a one-way conversation with them. They're going to be beginning to talk back. They're going to have their own opinions about things. And we want them to have opinions based on what we've poured into them. We want for them to be making choices and decisions on their own. But while we are still parenting them and in a measured way letting out the tether. Do you follow me okay so far? Okay, so that's what we're going to kind of focus in on today. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read the first four verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And some of your parents of teenagers are saying, yes, that's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but notice who this, is, who, who this is directed to. It's not addressed to the parents. It's addressed to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. It says there that this fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment that has a promise associated with it. If we honor father and mother, it says that we will, uh, life will go well for us, and we'll live long on the earth. We want that for our kids. And so we, this is important for them to have. This is saying it's important for children of all ages to have an appropriate, a righteous, godly relationship with their parents because it will reap benefits in their lives. But it's not addressed to the parents. It's addressed to the kids. But then verse 4. And you fathers and mothers, I could add. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture or in the training and admonition of the Lord. So, children, have a right relationship with your parents because that's going to pay benefit, dividends in your life. Parents, that's not your business. Your business is not to provoke your children to wrath. Why? Because if you do, you're going to mess up this relationship that they need. Don't provoke your children to wrath. But instead, bring them up. Nurture them along towards maturity by training and admonition. So we're going to talk about those things and then we'll, and then we'll be done. I'm going to talk to you today about the causes of, of relational meltdown. Because it says right there, don't let it happen. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't allow... This is the one command to, to parents that's in this text. Not that there aren't in other places other things. But this is the focus of, of what the Apostle Paul is, is giving uh, in, in this uh, four-verse section about the relationship to, with parents and kids. There's three verses to the kids about how, they, how important it is to have a right relationship with your parents. And then one to the parents and it says, Don't mess this up. They need a right relationship with you. Don't mess this up. 
So I'm going to talk to you about the ways we can mess this up, causes of relational meltdown. And then I'm going to talk to you about nurturing your teen to maturity. And then if we have some time, I'm going to close out by giving you some critical decisions that teens need to make. So first of all, causes of relational meltdown. Paul says here, don't provoke your kids to wrath. How can we end up doing that? Nobody intends to do that, but how, what are some of the ways that we can end up doing that? Well, first, insensitivity. Insensitivity. Don't stereotype your teenager. It's easy to do. In fact, in that comedy video that we showed a little bit ago, there was... The reason we are all, all laughing is because there were some stereotypical things that were being said. You know, ways of sort of describing all teenagers. And of course, there are certain characteristics that would be pretty generally broad, uh, you know, that could be used to describe teenagers. But the thing is, nobody, nobody, no one likes being stereotyped because we are individuals. And we know instinctively there's something wrong when I get pigeonholed, when I get put into, pressed into some sort of mold that I don't really, I don't really fit into. If people make assumptions about me that aren't true, don't stereotype your kids. They're not the same as you were at their age. They're not the same as your neighbor. They're not the same as the, you know, the actor on TV. They are unique. Know their world. Know their world. <laughs> I remember one... Now look, I'm giving my age. There, there used to... Nobody reads magazines anymore, but there used to be a whole set of these teen magazines, and one was called Teen Magazine. How many of you ever heard of this, or you saw it in a museum somewhere or something? Okay. So you, teen Magazine. And I remember one time... I, I, you know, was trying to get a better understanding of what, what my kids, my teenagers' world was. I went to the store and bought Teen Magazine. Now, can you imagine? I go through the cash to the, you know, the, the, the checkout at the grocery store with Teen Magazine. That already was a little bit uncomfortable. And then I felt like the Lord told me, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but I felt like the Lord told me, I want you to carry that around with you for a week. So I, I did. I mean, I, I think I read it, but I know I carried it around. That's the thing that really stuck out in my mind. And I had it in my back pocket everywhere I went for a whole solid week. And I don't know what people th thought of me, and it doesn't really matter. I just know that somehow that act helped me to get a little better picture of what my teenage kid's world was like. I also remember one time when my daughter, wa she wanted to watch this Film and we had we had some pretty strict uh, guidelines about what kind of movies and TV and music our kids could listen to. I mean, it wasn't overly strict, but we, we it wasn't you know uh, anything they wanted. And I know my my oldest daughter. Everybody, you know, this is what you get. Everybody has seen this, right? <laughs> everybody else gets to see that. That's what you hear. So I was getting this. Everybody and I didn't. I I hadn't. Didn't know much about it, but it just, um, I don't know, I didn't like the sound of it, you know? Parents, you have that sort of sense, you know? You have to kind of rely on from the Lord.
But I, here's what I did. I, told, I took time off at work one day, and I came home, and I rented it, came home and I watched it by myself so that I could not just say no, I could say, if I was going to say no, why? But at least, at the very least, I ended up saying no. And, but at the very least, it gave me a better insight into what everyone else you know, gets to see, what their world is like, know their world. Listen to them. Listen to them. We are so bad at listening. Have you ever figured this out? What we do normally in conversations is we talk, then we take a break, and they do something, they talk, but all we're really doing is preparing for what we're going to say when they stop talking. That's how we carry on conversations with people. We don't really listen. And your teenagers, moms and dads, they know this. It's funny, I do this, I, my wife gets after me all the time. Because you know how you, you go to a place of business and you step up, like, oh, right, let's, I'll, you know, I'll use my typical Starbucks uh, illustration. So you step up to the counter to, to, at Starbucks and, you know, there's this whole routine. Hi, how are you? Uh, you know, it's going to be this much. Uh, and then they thank me for giving them money. I thank them because I'm giving them money. And there's this whole kind of th- weird thing. That's, you know, this whole kind of setup that goes on there. And nobody's paying any attention whatsoever. And so I just started saying random things. Like people will say, they'll, they'll say, I'll be right with you. And I say, so you claim. <laughs> and you know, it goes right over their heads. They don't hear, they, they aren't listening at all. It doesn't matter. They don't, or they'll, they'll say, how are you? I said, pretty darn decent. That's my thing, pretty darn decent. Every once in a while, somebody will go, what? What did you just say? You didn't say fine. That's what we're all supposed to say, fine, right? So I have these kind of weird things that I'll say just, just because I know that nobody's listening. <laughs> but the truth is, your, your young person, your teenager, they need to know you hear them you're listening to them because when they reach the second decade it's no longer as I said before a one-way conversation it's gonna start you know look the first decade it's always because I said so and that's right because I said so second decade that's not gonna work anymore and you got to be prepared for the feedback to come back and hear it. Don't, don't, be, don't be defensive about it. Hear it. Hear, hear what's beyond, behind that. What's motivating that and respond to that. So causes of relational meltdown. Insensitivity. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. No double standard. Now I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell you what you should do or not do specifically here, but you do need to consider this thing that we do that says, well, I'm an adult, I get to. You're not, so you don't. Yeah. Moms and dads, you're gonna, that is not going to work. You know, when I, again, I'm not telling you what to do. I just know that one of the ways we handle this thing about the movie deal is that I had a... I had a, a, a limit, you know, especially when my kids, kids got older, I said, okay, nothing, you can't see anything beyond PG-13 rating. And this was all the time they were in my house. But I, I imposed the same restriction on me. 
It wasn't that, there, we, you know, well, I get to do this because I'm an adult. You need to consider this because they see that as hypocrisy. Number two, be honest with them. Be honest with them. And number three, keep your word. Keep your word. And we're bad at this. You and I, we throw things around that are really statements of our of promise that we treat pretty casually. Like the other day when I was on the phone with a guy and he said, tell your wife hello for me. Sure, I will. I never did that. I told him I would. I never did that. But the thing is, he didn't expect me to either. That's how casual we've gotten with our word. He asked me to do something. I said I would. He didn't, he didn't really care if I did or didn't, and I didn't do it. How bad is that? It's terrible. But your kids deserve better, and they want better. So, causes of relational meltdown. Insensitivity, hypocrisy, impatience. Impatience. Keep your cool. Moms and dads, it's hard. It's really hard. But take a chill pill. It's really going to be okay. Yeah, and I've seen, I see parents. I've been that parent. You get really worked up and anxious and afraid and all this stuff. And sometimes you just really have to say, wait, 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 wait. It's going to be okay. Because the impatience creates, adds to this um, this thing of, of uh, provoking your children to wrath and it's, it's messing up the relationship which is vital to them. So don't, don't lose your cool. Don't have unrealistic expectations of your kids. You know, it, it's, it is a tough thing because you want to encourage them to do their best. But don't have unrealistic expectations of them because that will lead to this impatience thing. Also, don't give up on them. Patience means you hang in there with them. As hard as it is sometimes, you have to stay in there with them. Another way that we can cause relational meltdown is by abuse of authority. Abuse of authority. Now, we have a responsibility to exercise the God-given authority that we have in a righteous way. And it's a good thing. It's a powerful thing. Even today, even today, I will, when I pray for my kids, I will say things like this. I will, when I'm talking to the Lord and then I start to addressing, you know, spiritual things that are coming against my kids and their families, I'll say things like, I'll say, as the God-given authority in that woman's life, she's you know, she's 35. My oldest is 35. As the, but, I'll, but I believe this, so I'll say it. As the God-given authority in that woman's life, because that will never change as long as I live, that will be the case. I stop you in the name of Jesus. You cannot have her. You cannot assault her in this way. You cannot come against her, her family. I stop you in the name of Jesus as the God-given authority in her life. It's a powerful thing, but if you mess it up, you're going to lose that, that, uh, that position of authority in their lives. Don't, and some of the ways that you can abuse authority is by victimizing them with your pain or insecurity. I, one time, I was driving home from, from, I was a pastor, driving home from the church. Ticked off at the world. You ever get that way? There's really no, you can't even describe, you can't even... 
identify what the cause is. You're just mad. So I'm driving home and I'm mad. I'm just mad. Pull up in the driveway and instead of taking a few minutes to diffuse my own anger, I go storming into the house and things are a mess and I find the first kid I can come across, my son, who was our youngest, and I just laid into him. You should clean this up and this needs to be put away. You know, all that stuff. And then he starts to cry and he's like, and I'm going, oh no, I've... I've abused authority, so here's what I did. In order to save face, I just went through their house and found the other kids and laid into them as well, just so that it was even and, you know, fair. <sighs> oh, it's horrible, horrible. But that's an abuse of authority. And I was inflicting on them, I was victimizing them with my own thing, my own pain, my own issue that I was going through. Another thing about abusing authority is don't attempt to relieve or redeem your past, excuse me, relive or redeem your past through them. I, I see, I, I know what the tendency is. I know the drive to do that. You know, if, you've, if you didn't go to college and you, you want to make sure they do. If you, if you didn't, uh, you, know, you know that you missed an opportunity to to do a certain thing or be on a certain team or whatever you want to make sure that they, they but really it's just reliving or redeeming your own life through them they have their life and it's an abuse of authority to try to shape their future because your future didn't turn out the way you wanted it to does that make sense? All right, so these are some of the causes of relational meltdown. I want to talk to you now about nurturing your teen to maturity because that's what it says here in verse 4. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Nourish them along. Carry them along towards maturity in the training and admonition of the Lord. I want to talk to you about what I believe that means. Number one, to teach. Number one, to teach. Now, teaching is going to change. It's not going to be a one-way conversation anymore. It's going to be a two-way. That means you're going to have to be prepared with answers. Why? Well, I already said that because I said so, it isn't going to work anymore. You're going to have to have something else, something real, something righteous. You have to think through. If I'm, how, will, how, do I, how do I teach my kids in an open dialogue situation. Offer instruction. One of the things that uh, is very surprising to me is that teenagers, in fact, every, every time I read sociological reports about this, it always comes back the same. We think that when, when children become teenagers that they're listening more to their peers than they are to their parents, but it's just exactly the opposite. Study after study after study. So we still have a very important role in their lives to teach and to train. And some of the most surprising things just get missed. I was in Taiwan uh, working with uh, the students that we, we were working with there. And there was a girl, uh, American, from Texas. She was 19 years old. She had never in her entire life swept the floor. She did not know how to use a broom. I remember sitting down with my kids and, you know, this didn't come out of my own brain. I don't forget who I got it from, but uh, it worked out pretty well. 
I remember sitting down with each of them at different times and having them go through with me the process of my monthly bill paying. I taught them how to open a checking account and how to manage it. Uh, there are things that your kids, are, they don't know how to ask you for, but they want instruction. They want help. I remember, you know, being with a kid who, who he t- it's funny, a young man, he said, you know, I figured it out, but I wish my dad would have taught me how to shave. Things that we just, we miss because we either aren't secure enough in ourselves, but they need you. Teach. Nurturing your teen to maturity also means to model. Be involved with them. I, uh, you can't model, you can't point the way towards a righteous maturity if you're not with them. Sometimes that means <laughs> some challenging things. Like my son was really into skateboarding. I mean, he still is. He's 30 years old. He's still into skateboarding. I thought he'd given that up a long time ago, but I guess what he told me once when he was about 13 was true. He said, Dad, skateboarding is my life. (laughs) Well, you know, instead of shutting that down, which I wanted to do, you know, I just want, I hated the whole skater culture. You know, everything about it bugged me. And I wanted to just shut that down. But in the face of that, I felt like the Lord prompting me, don't go there. And so, uh, you know, the thing is, I ended up being the guy who would transport, especially in the, when they were younger, transport him and his herd of skateboard buddies to these different places to, to skate. And, and look, the truth is, the places where they would go to do skateboard, were, it was illegal. I was, and it always made me really, really uncomfortable. <laughs> now, I'd be sitting there, watching them skateboard, watching for the cops. I was the lookout (laughs) for the cops. I just knew one of these days I was going to get busted. But I just knew if I was going to have any way to speak or model for them, speaking to his life or model him, I had to be part of his life. But I also knew I needed to involve them in my life too. And there's ways that you do that. There's these, you know, I forget what it's called, but, you know, these take your daughter, take your son to work kind of days that they have. Let them see you worship. You know, there's... Get, have them and be involved in your life as well. I'm trying to skate through these things, pardon the pun. Trust. Trust. Nurturing your teen to maturity means you trust them. That's a tough one. Don't suffocate them by spying on their every move. My, my, my oldest daughter, you know, I, I caught her, I, I caught the telltale signs of, of her smoking. And uh, from then on, I was always tempted to always check her car for what it did smell like in there, check her clothes. Because she told me, I'm, you know, I'm done with that. And, but I didn't trust her. And the, I mean, I had that, that moment where I could have given in to that thing of not trusting her. But here's the thing. I told 
I know the Lord helped me to um, do this thing right, which was I, I told my kids, you, you want me to trust you. If, you. if I can trust you, your life is going to be great. You're going to get to do all kinds of things. If I can't trust you, it's going to be really miserable around here. So I want to trust you. That's my default position. I trust you. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough because sometimes they, they abuse that trust. But I've, I've decided that rather than... Because this is always the case with parents and kids or any other relationship. When trust gets broken, it's the worst possible thing. Because that's the basis of any relationship. And so you can just write it off at that point or you can figure out a way to do the hard work that makes it be makes it be healed again. And so I just decided that I was going to be prepared for fail, failure. And when they screwed up, that I would have a plan, not just for them to serve their sentence, you know, because there'd be, you know, there'd be uh, consequences, but to have a way back to my trust. I mapped out a course of things. You, if, if you do this and follow this and do this, uh, you will have my complete trust again. And I meant it. But it's not an easy thing. But it is a critical thing. And you want to encourage your, your kids that you, with trust. All of us like to be trusted. I remember leaving, my, uh, Sue and I went on a trip to Hawaii and left our front door key with a painter who's going to have the, the free reign of our house for a week. And I placed it in his hand and I said, I trust you. And, you know, he, there was this thing with his eyes when I did that. I trust you. And I, I said, like, I trust you with everything in this house. All of our worldly goods. I really laid it on. I trust you. But we want to be trusted. We want to believe we are trustworthy. And so encouraging them with that is good. Another way that we nurture our teens to maturity is by correcting. And correction is, is, begins with having clear and reasonable expectations. We, we, we sometimes think that, well, they should just understand this. Well, that's not always the case. We, we need to be clear about what our expectations are and what the consequences will be. And we, we need to give up threatening. It doesn't work and it ruins the relationship. And we need to stop punishing. Punishing is exacting payment. And, and, and that's not correction. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean that there isn't, they don't get grounded. It doesn't mean those things. But it does mean that it's not just to inflict pain. It's for correction, for teaching, for nurturing. And, and you, part of correcting is you don't shield from consequences. My, my oldest daughter spent the better part of a day in juvenile hall because I did not shield her from the consequences of her actions. I did go down and pick her up later. Um, but even though we don't shield them from consequences, we, are, we also are merciful when I brought her home from, from uh, Juvenile Hall, I was very angry. So I just bit my lip. 
And I went off to my, my little man cave. <laughs> my wife, on the other hand, came out and smothered her with love and affection. It didn't mean that what you have done is not serious. It doesn't mean we, we, there's not going to be consequences for it. But we want you to know that we love you. God is merciful with us. He doesn't shield us from the consequences of our sin, does he? How many of you can attest to that? But I'll also tell you something. He, you are never, as a believer, you are never exposed to the full consequences of your sin. Jesus took that on the cross. And he steps in and, and in his mercy protects us from the full weight of what we deserve over and over and over again. That's part of correcting. Now I'm going to go through this really quickly and I'm not going to spend much time uh, you know, embellishing it. So you're just going to have to take it for what it's worth. I've given you the scripture. Now I'm just going to give you some stuff out of my own head. So again, take that for, for what it's worth. But these, I think, are the critical decisions a teen makes. The decade of uh, a teen's life between 11 and 20 is the decade of, decision, uh, decade of decisions. And let me tell you, the critical decisions are not what color their hair is going to be. It's not how many tattoos they're going to have or how many piercings or where those piercings are. Not that those things aren't important, not that you shouldn't have anything to say about them, but those are not the critical decisions of their life. These are, who am I? Who am I? And there are really two choices. Am I a product of my culture or a person of divine destiny? That's the decision they need to make. Number two, whom will I worship? Because everybody worships. Everybody worships something. Whatever the most important thing in your life is, even if it's your belief that there is no God, <laughs> that's what you worship. Everybody worships. Who will I worship? Whom will I worship? The gods of this age or the God of the Bible? That is a critical decision. Number three, from what will I derive my values? The world's standards or the Bible. Number four, whom will I emulate? Popular figures? Who do I want to be like? Who will I shape my life after? Popular figures or Jesus? That is a critical decision. Number five, what will my priorities be? My plans or God's will? Finally, how will I relate to my parents? And that brings us full circle because that's how this passage begins. They need. Their well-being depends on a right relationship with you, mom and dad. How will I relate to my parents? With rebellion or with submission? And I want to submit to you that a lot of that, there's two sides of this equation. Paul gives it both. Children, submit to your parents. Obey your parents' Have a right relationship with your parents. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't mess up this relationship. It's, there's two, two sides to this equation, and they both need to be fulfilled. But when, when they do, then 
there is great blessing and great uh, reward that comes 